Welcome to The Point. I'm Mindy Todd. Democracy relies on a free and independent press. This is not only true nationally, but on a regional and local level. News reporting and investigative journalism allow citizens to stay abreast of issues that impact them personally and makes public institutions and officials accountable to the people they serve. Historically, the Cape Coast and Islands have been home to a number of local newspapers. And in 2024, as many communities in the country are seeing their local papers fold, our region is seeing expansion of news coverage. What's caused this rise in local journalism? What have editors and publishers learned about funding and coverage models that work? And what have news consumers come to expect in their local news sources? We'll talk about all that and much more today with a roundtable of news editors and publishers. With us, Steve Junker, CAI's news director and editor. Hi, Steve. Good morning, Mindy. Marianne Stanton, editor and publisher of The Inquirer and Mirror for over 40 years. She retired last summer but continues to write a weekly column and consult as needed. Welcome back, Marianne. Good to see you. Hi, Mindy. Teresa Parker is publisher of the Provincetown Independent. Hi, Teresa. Hello. And Barbara Rusner is founding editor of The New Bedford Light. Hi, Barbara. Morning. So our region has a legacy of great local news coverage. And Steve, what stands out to you when you think about the number of newspapers and newsrooms covering the Cape Coast and Islands compared to 20 years ago? Compared to 20 years ago, I think even as the newspaper business has shifted, and we're going to talk a lot about that today, our robust tradition of local news continues, and that's just so impressive. We have uh, weeklies around the region that have been serving the region for such a long time and that continue to grow and be just, you know, providing the news that everyone is looking for in their little corners of Cape Cod or the islands or the South Coast. Uh, But I think the biggest change, obviously, has been the Internet and digital. Mm -hmm. And that 20 years ago, the Internet was kind of like news didn't really know what to do so much with the Internet, but knew it was going to be big. Now everybody gets news on their phone. You hardly even go to your laptop anymore. You just kind of look at your phone to find out what's happening. Yeah. I say even in the radio newsrooms, thinking back 20 years, pretty much most radio stations around here had newsrooms and like some of the papers, they've you know been reduced by size or, or done away with altogether. Anybody else have thoughts on comparing you know now to twenty years ago? Well, it's interesting to me to hear uh, you guys talking about how robust the news ecosystem is um, in your in your realms, but in New Bedford, it's not mm. uh, and hasn't been for a long time. So, I think you're all familiar with Gannett. Um, uh, closing many papers and in many uh, locations like New Bedford, really hollowing out what's left of, of the local paper. Mm. So we, uh, the New Bedford Light was really born of need. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I, I, different dynamic. I, I, yeah. We, you know, the Provincetown Independent also came into existence because we did not have a good local newspaper anymore. You know, Gannett Gatehouse came in in 2008, took over the banner and began to destroy it immediately. Um, So, you know, maybe you say we have a robust uh, news ecosystem here. I I don't really think that's right. I think we're in the business of rebuilding something that is being destroyed and it's still being destroyed. We need more operations like like ours Mm -hmm. to come along and 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 get going. I mean, running a. A brand new newspaper for us means not just trying to put out a paper, but trying to build capacity that's been lost. And it's been lost for a good enough, a long enough time that it's hard to find experienced people who want to do this work. It's a a deep destruction, I would say. 
Yeah, you know, Mary Ann Stanton Chadigan here from Nantucket. And, um, you know, interesting because I come from the perspective of having worked for the Inquiry Mirror when it was an independent newspaper and was not corporately owned. But then most of my time has been working for a corporate entity. First in 1990, when my parents, who used to own the newspaper, sold it to Ottawa. Um, and it turns out Ottawa was the gold standard for mm -hmm. working for a corporate environment. They were a subsidiary of Dow Jones. But then in 2008, when Rupert Murdoch was desperate to get the Wall Street Journal, and eventually that property sold, and um, we worked for News Corp, um, things started to change a little bit. And then News Corp never wanted to have weekly newspapers or small papers like the local media group. So then it was sold to Gatehouse. And you know we started to see some changes then but really the frightening part was when Gannett came in and, you know, it was post, it was posited to us that um, Gatehouse was buying Gannett, but anybody who worked for that group saw what was really happening was that Gannett was running the show. And then you could really see things happening. And um, we were very strategic in how we ran things on Nantucket. So they couldn't eliminate the positions that they were doing every place else. Mm -hmm. So I was doing a number of things. And if you got rid of me, then you didn't have an editor or a publisher or some of the other functions I was doing. But you could really see that what they were doing, um, you know, Gannett was really just gutting and selling off properties and getting rid of positions. And the fact that they would say, well, we're really focused on local journalism. No, they were not. Not, mm -hmm. not at all. They were really focused on keeping the salaries of the people at the very top. Mike Reed, who was making $7.7 .7 million a year as a CEO, it was horrifying. Mm -hmm. And that is when I started. Well, even before that, I had been looking to find some local investors to bring the paper back to um, independent ownership because I could see what was going to happen if we had not done that is they would have taken our assets, our real estate, which was the newspaper building, the employee housing, sold that off, gotten rid of all the people who knew what they were doing. We would have become a little bureau of probably the Cape Cod Times or something with people working from home. Mm -hmm. And it was terrifying. Yeah. Steve, go ahead. Okay. I'm chime in here. I just wanted to uh, put some clarification in there. As my When I say robust, I think as news consumers across the region, we have so many weekly opportunities for people to pick up news about their individual towns and locations mm -hmm. that most spots in the United States don't have. Cape Cod just by itself has the Upper Cape weeklies, whether that's the... Uh, you know, Mashpee and Falmouth Enterprises with the Wareham Weekly. Chatham down there has the Cape Cod Chronicle. We have the Provincetown Independent. We have the New Bedford Light. And we have on Martha's Vineyard two weekly newspapers. And on Nantucket, we have a weekly newspaper and a digital startup. There is a lot of opportunity here that people, I think, if you're living in Iowa and your local news had been gutted, you would wish that you could have that many chances to find out what was happening. Yeah. So that's, I guess that's a better explanation of what we mean by yeah. robust. Yeah. And, and, of course, we saw the demise of the Bonstable Patriot um, when, when uh, Gatehouse and Gannett came in. Um, 
Miriam, the Inquirer Mirror has been the paper of record in Nantucket since 1821. Um, and as you mentioned, most of the history was it was independently owned. And you sort of touched on some of the things you were fearing as Gannett took over. So talk a little bit about the challenge of getting that paper back into community support, community hands, because that's not an easy thing to do. No, they. it was interesting. Um, I'm trying to think of the year. It was before the pandemic. It was 2018 or so. I had been looking for a couple of years, talking to what I would call usual suspects of people who might be interested. And always the barrier was when people looked at return on investment in the newspaper industry, if they were looking at it from an economic standpoint, you could see that ever since the internet started growing, the advertising was declining. So people who are looking at a purely monetary, and we were very, um, very profitable, but when they were looking at the long run, they were saying, well, what's going to happen, you know, 10 years from now? So we weren't getting that. So you needed to get somebody or people who wanted to have, and I hate using the word institution because institutions are stodgy and you need to, you know, be fluid if you're going to be relevant and continue to be important and as a, you know, vehicle for information. But, you know, you need to have people who really valued the role of a newspaper in a community um, for keeping government accountable. Not to say that our government is bad, but if you don't have checks and balances, that's a problem. And um, as another vehicle for information, but also something that was going to grow. So I have been looking for a couple of years and at the same time, um, I got a visit one January from Kirk Davis, who was the CEO at um, Gatehouse. I called and said he wanted to visit me. And I'm like, well, this cannot be good. <laughs> and um, he and um, their mergers and acquisitions guy flew down, took me out to dinner and said, you know, we've decided, you know, and Gatehouse needed money. They had so much debt. Um, that, you know, we think that we can, you know, sell the Inquirer Mirror and, you know, get some, you know, big spender who with a big ego who wants to give us like a ton of money. And they were looking for ridiculous amounts of money. And so, you know, we went through this process and I had seen it before over the years of, you know, finding people and, you know, they were going through all of that. But in the end, they just wanted way too much. So then we were back to square one. But um, I kept looking and was very close at one point, but then when Gannett entered the picture and they were, I remember being in a um, meeting, a newsroom meeting, you know, with all of the you know New England papers. And the woman said, I won't say her name because she's still there. She said, stop thinking about USA Today. Think of New England today. And can we have all the numbers of your reporters? Because we want to be assigning them. I was like, wait a minute. Josh and I were, Josh Balling, mm -hmm. who's now the editor, he was the managing and I were on the call. I'm like, this is not good. No, you're not going to get the numbers of our reporters. We will assign stories. And, um, and that was pretty frightening. And so in the summer of 2020, um, you know, I had still not been successful because they wanted so much money. But um, we saw what was happening. And a guy who was on the finance committee, had been on the finance committee for the town, David Worth, who I'd known for a long time. His mother was a co-leader in the back shop. And David was a couple of years older than me. Um, you know, he said, boy, you think Gannett would ever sell the Inquirer Merit? And I was like, you know what? And so I called my uh, mergers and acquisitions guy, who I knew really well, because we had been 
doing a bunch of these dog and pony shows and trying to sell the paper. And um, I said, hey, you know, what do you think? He said, let me, um, let me ask. And at this point, they were really desperate for money. And so they cut their price by quite a bit. So um, when the people that I had originally talked to, um, you know, those groups of people came on board and we were able to do it pretty quickly. And so that was good. But again, the motivation was to keep the um, news, I call it news organization, because it's not just a newspaper anymore, it's digital, it's a lot of different things, was to keep that for the community. And in the sale, I, I really want to point this out, it was structured as such that the assets of the paper, the paper is run by Josh Balling, now the editor, and Robert Sarr, now the GM, um, is run you know, by the people in the building. But the assets, the real estate and everything, that is now owned by the Community Foundation of Nantucket. So if it was ever going to sell, if anyone ever had any idea that, you know, we'll sell this and make a bunch of money. And if you've looked at the price of real estate in Nantucket, it's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. That can't happen. There's not that incentive anymore. So that was um, so brilliant, Marianne. That was brilliant. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're talking about local journalism this morning. 866-999-4626 is our number. What local news sources do you rely on? How does your local news source, be it paper, digital, or audio, make your community a better place? You can join the conversation. 866-999-4626. Our email address, thepoint at capeandislands.org. We'll talk more after a quick break. You're listening to The Point. We're talking about local journalism in our region this morning. 866-999-4626 is our number. Our email address, thepoint at capeandislands.org. With us is Steve Junker, CAI News Director, Marianne Stanton, Editor and Publisher of the of Nantucket's Inquirer and Mirror. For over 40 years, she retired last summer but continues to write a weekly column and consult as needed. Teresa Parker, Publisher of the Provincetown Independent, and Barbara Rosner, Founding Editor of the New Bedford Light. Teresa, the Provincetown Independent, relatively new enterprise. You're locally owned. Concentrate on the communities of Provincetown, Truro, Wellfleet, and East Ham. So at this time when our country was seeing the demise of, of some local newspapers, you and others decided to start one. So tell us the story and why you had faith that this endeavor could be successful. Well, I think, I mean, one of the things that when Steve says we have a robust News I'm ecosystem. going to catch a lot of flack for this all day long, <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> no, the part that seems right to me is that we do have a community that cares about community. So that's a starting point. Um, and, you know, I think also I would say when Ed and I looked around at um, others who were starting newspapers or at existing newspapers, because actually the, the mythology, there's a little bit of mythology in this it is real that newspapers are closing across the country, but it's not really because of the existence of digital news. And uh, most of it has to do with ownership that's extractive, as we've already talked about. But it also has to do with whether there's an economy around around the newspaper. And we knew that there is a weird and seasonal but real economy still on outer Cape Cod. So that's another source of support. So you have people who want to be informed and read something and be involved in com community. And then you also have a, a reasonable economy. That's what gave us hope. So um, 
we did, we started raising money, I would say, well, we kind of started two years before launching the paper. We just published, uh, we've been in business for four years and four months, 230 issues as of 3 a.m. on Tuesday. Mm. And um, I think, you know, uh, people didn't think have a lot of faith. The whole the whole discourse out there about newspapers being a terrible business to be in did not help our fundraising efforts. So, um, but the first thing you do have to get together is money because you need to start reporting. I mean, the, the beginnings of these things come with doing the work. There's kind of no other way to go about it. I would guess, even though we're all three in really different situations, that's true for all of us. So we started with um, without having reached our goal. We thought we'd need around a million dollars to get to year five um, to break even. And um, we we set an initial goal of raising $375,000. And, and um, every business person out here we talked to said, whatever you do, don't start with you know insufficient funds. But after we kept talking to them for a couple of years and nothing, not we didn't have that goal met, uh, those same business people kind of said, well, you know, at a certain point, you kind of just have to start. <laughs> So um, we we started, you know, under underfinanced, and uh, but we are a business, and we began to sell ads, which represent um, about eighty percent of the money that pays for the newspaper. Um, we also have set up a nonprofit, which we collaborate with, that supports um, our beginning journalists primarily. So um, we're doing a kind of experimental hybrid model here. And um, it seems to be working. I mean, a big affirmation of how people care and that they are willing to invest happened over the last, well, really, we closed in um, in August, last this past August, a direct public offering. So we offered shares to the community through a special kind of public offering that's um, it's called a, it's called a direct public offering. It's not mediated by Wall Street, and um, the minimum investment was five hundred dollars. And we have now um, two hundred and I believe ninety nine total investors in the independent. So we're in that sense owned uh, by the community, and yeah. I, I think you know I I kind of think the doing of it makes it real. Yeah. Yeah. And then, Barbara, you're the founding editor at the New Bedford Light, a free independent website for news. Tell us more about the mission and model for the New Bedford Light and why you chose that community in particular to get started. Okay. Well, the, the genesis is similar to other startups across the country, uh, similar to ours. I mean, we, we started from scratch, ground zero, um, with a group of citizens in New Bedford who were meeting on a regular basis to talk about what was going on in the city and realizing that they couldn't really figure out what was going on in the city. And uh, they came around to the conclusion that the demise of the local paper, the Standard Times, which still exists, shout out to the reporters who are there, by the way, I've been there, I know what it's like to work in a newsroom that is shrinking and it's hard. So this is no, no knock on them. Um, but there really wasn't substantive journalism. And in a city like New Bedford, which is uh, slightly over 100,000, it is uh, half the citizens are on food stamps. 
there are huge challenges in housing and education and all the things that attend um, a high poverty level and a high immigration level, there wasn't the kind of journalism that the, the city needed. And um, I had just, I came across this group of people completely randomly. I moved here from the New York City metro area uh, to escape the 24 seven insanity of uh, the newsroom, which I had been uh, steeped in for a good 40, 45 years. I came here to retire and to chill out and to do yoga and watch the walk the beach. <laughs> I don't know, read novels, you know, um, discover the meaning of self-care, something I never, you know, got around to. Um, but I, as a longtime uh, journalist, really could see not only the need in, in New Bedford, but the opportunity. Yeah. And looking at the need, looking at the gap in the, the local ecosystem, um, and that's not to say that there aren't great weeklies around because there are, but we really looked at what, and it's important what Steve's saying, because there is a ton of information out there, even in New Bedford, it's not coming from the newspaper, but it, there are all kinds of bloggers and, and um, you know, Facebook, New Bedford's a city of Facebook uh, uh, groups. So we really looked at what what's the city need and what can we provide that's gonna make a difference. And we determined that it's in-depth, investigative, explanatory, uh, what we call enterprise journalism that is hard-hitting and aggressive and ruthlessly independent and uh, not, um, not a PR arm of the local government. Well, this is, you know, that's what journalism is about, but I think it had been forgotten in New Bedford. And... Um, yeah, so we we just really saw the opportunity to do something very different. Now that means that we had to decide ruthlessly what we're not going to do. We who've inhabited newsrooms know if you try to do thing all things for all people, you really won't do much of substance. Um, so we decided that the Standard Times doing a great job of covering high school sports. We're not going to cover high school sports. We're not going to cover police blotter. We're not going to print press releases. We're not going to do stories that are basically rewrites of press releases. We are going to really look hard for hard truths about um, or within really hard issues. Okay. And so uh, that's what we did. It's it's different. I I uh, I always say doubt is a constant companion in devising the strategy. Who knew would the city of New Bedford go for this this kind of journalism? And guess what? It has. It has, yeah. yeah. You know, and listening to what you guys are saying, um, especially Teresa, when you're creating something new, I mean, people are like, "What? What is it?" Especially all digital. Right. We're all digital, which I can explain why. It's a beautiful thing. We're not mourning the past or the demise of print. We're looking to the future. And when you're all digital, your money goes into content creation. It doesn't go into paper and ink and distribution and all that. So it really creates all kinds of opportunities yeah. also for interactive journalism. Um, so we have just had a tremendous response from the citizens of New Bedford and the surrounding area. Uh, and some some big donors, and then a whole lot of dollar a month 
donors mm-hmm. and our audience has uh is I, you know i knock on wood and i don't take credit for it i think it's the power of great journalism that drives audience and uh the audience has has uh doubled just in the past year and we started in uh june of 2021 but just in the past year, it's doubled. Our page views have doubled. Our time on site is unheard of. In other words, people are reading these deep stories. And they're just fantastic uh, response, also from some big foundations. Yeah, Barbara, you have to, what, are you, what are you spending a year? What do you have to bring in to, to do your- one, About 1.6 million a year. a year. So interestingly, you know, I mean, underlying or or driving all of this is that we are all involved in creating, continuing to create local news organizations that are unique to our place. That's what this is all about. Absolutely. People giving money to us. We are reliant on our donors. If we don't give them something that's special and different and resonant, right? Resonating with them, their lives and their place in the New Bedford area, they're not going to give us money. So that's, that's the important part. I just want to say I have eight reporters, full-time reporters. I have full-time columnists. I say I, but I'm we, (laughs) (laughs) I got to be careful about that. And we have dedicated beats to offshore wind and commercial fishing and other stuff that's just unique to the place. Yeah. Barbara, what's your funding model? We uh, do not take traditional advertising. Uh, again, we are all digital and uh, we have uh, individual donors and we raise money from various foundations and others who have partnered with us. ProPublica was a partner very early on. We did a really groundbreaking investigative story about uh, <clears throat> foreign power, private equity taking over the fishing industry, which kind of put our audience unnoticed that this is the kind of journalism they're going to get from us. And we partnered with the Marshall Project and uh, uh, other foundations, Knight Foundation and local foundations. And we do have business sponsors. So they're, they um, they donate or they invest a certain amount of money, say $50,000 from a local bank a year. And their logo is on our pages, mm-hmm. but we don't have traditional advertising. And part of the reason for that is that it is more lucrative to go with sponsorships than with uh, in ads. Yeah. Right. Uh, Jennifer's giving us a call from East Ham. Good morning, Jennifer. Good morning. How are you? Good. Yeah, so go I wanted to salute everyone on this program. Um, I'm a big <laughs> fan of real journalism, and I can't tell you what a difference reading the province, Provincetown Independent makes because we're faced with the Cape Cod Times, which is just miserable. And so the independent is, is really intense, uh, informative journalism. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. I think it's fascinating to learn about the business of journalism. And I salute the New Bedford person. I'm, I'm learning so much. And she's spot on. You know, we don't want to read press releases from the Chamber of Commerce. Um, and there, there's so much here. I mean, CAI does such a great job with Eve Zuckoff going into depth about climate change and environmental issues. Um, I really want to salute you. And, and I love this conversation because people like me, we don't know how the business works. 
and, you know, individuals can say, well, yeah, I donate or I bought a share, but what else can we do? Mm-hmm. And so I just want to salute you. Please keep up the good work. Please know how much it is appreciated. Thank you. Jennifer, thanks for, thanks for the call. So that's a good question. Um, subscription fee versus free access. I mean, these are all questions. How do you determine what's right for your community and for the continued viability of the platform? Marianne? Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Robert Sara, who is the um, general manager now, he originally came on um, to really launch our digital effort. Um, so having news as it happens. So it's you're basically, you're a weekly newspaper, but you're not, but you're a news organization that's delivering news 24-7 as it happens. And, you know, we had another um, entity, the Nantica Current, who launched, um, I think they're starting their third year about the same time, and they were entirely free. They're funded by um, a summer resident who is a real estate developer in Boston. And so some of the pushback we got from people was, well, gee, they're free, and why do we have to pay? Why can't we, why can't we just, why can't you do it for free? And I'd say, well, you know, when I go to your restaurant, you're not giving me a free hamburger, are you? You know, or you're not giving me free gas for my car. I said, we're a professional news organization, and we rely on the support of readers and advertisers. We are still doing print ads and digital ads, um, and we have some sponsorships too. Um, and getting that message across, it's difficult when people are getting something for free, but, you know, we are a bigger organization. And then when they they understand, they say, oh, okay, but we have grown considerably in our um, digital subscriptions, our digital subscribers, since it started, even with a competitor that's free. So people really appreciate that. And, um, you know, everybody has to figure out their own business model. Um, but it's interesting. I just want to add this in there. So in 1999, so that was what, 25 years ago, um, I went back to school to get my MBA and my final course was a capstone course. And you had to look at a publicly traded company. And I said, let's look at Dow Jones and you had to predict the future. So in 1999, four years after the internet started, and I said, you know, and so in the group we were working on, we said, people are going to want in 10 years, they're going to want to get the news wherever they are, whenever it happens on their phone. Now, this is before this was happening, but that's predicting the future. And that's exactly where it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I just want to say, I, I think I don't think that's really true for our local communities. I mean, I one thing we're not trying to be is instant news all the time, 24 seven, because, you know, as Barbara said, we're 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 trying to get deeper into stories And it's one thing to report to the community that something happened, but they can find that out in lots of places. That's that's correct. But you, but if you have that, if you use, if you do a multi-layered approach and you have, oh, it happened and here it is. And then they look to your print product for something that's deeper. And then that eventually, and then we have, we also tied that in with our digital newsletter that goes out several times a week, but I agree with you. Yes. You know, you cannot underestimate the importance of deep reporting and enterprise reporting on big issues. That just doesn't come out in a paragraph, but they want everything. Well, I would argue that they can get everything from different sources and that the, the, 
that is how people function these days in accessing information. They don't just go to one newspaper or one news site. They got a feed. They yeah. have a few stories that's yeah. coming on social media and, and from, from other places. So, you know, if you look at the feed from Newsbreak, you all know what Newsbreak is. It's an aggregation uh, site <clears throat> that takes, you know, aggregates everything out of New Bedford. And then for free, you can get these little blurbs and you have to follow the link to the news organization. Well, there are radio stations, there are television stations, there are, uh, you know, online news sites that aren't really news sites. They're, they're you know, uh, press release sites. They're listed all there. You can get everything you want to know about high school sports and all that. And when you see a story from the Bedford Light, it's not duplicative. It's, you know, the the world of everybody going to one place to get all things, I say, is not not where it's at. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, it's very, very, very interesting. And also... People are donating to us because they know that we're about a public service mission mm -hmm. and they believe in that. And they believe in the fact that we're free. We're in a low income city. Anybody can access our content. And that's part of why people are donating to us to keep mm -hmm. it free. So different approach. Steve. Uh, I was sitting here listening to you talk about the business side of it. And it's so fascinating how you've each sort of taken on this in, in your own lane and figured out a way that makes it work for you, whether it's continuing in sort of a weekly model or sort of, a you know, it feels like almost a free-for-all. Every time I look at the website for the New Bedford Light, something new is on the, the front of the, the website there. Uh, but as news, as people who just read the news, we really have a, a tremendous access to information right now. That's And whether it is like the Provincetown Independent comes out as a paper still once a week, but your website is there all the time, and when I see the Nantucket getting, when I get my e, uh, you know, your your e news that you send out, your email that you send out a couple times a week, I'm being updated all the time with news from around the region. It really is uh, impressive. That said, there's kind of a hole in the middle of everything, which is the the regional news that used to knit the region together, and that's something that I think we still feel like we miss. And even in the middle of the Cape in that mid Cape region, there's no weekly that's kind of anchoring that area mm -hmm. either. Yeah. And this opens up like collaboration. I, I feel like I hear that word a lot, like people are trying to collaborate more with each other. And I'm wondering if that is on your minds, uh, collaborating with other news organizations. I mean, we Absolutely. do that with the Roundup, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I think that's the future for, for all or our organizations is to, is to, um, find the right partners where we can fill in the gap with and get great content that's coming in from other places and and share it and push it out there. I I absolutely think that's that's the way to go. We're talking about. I'm not sure how. To, I'm sorry. Well, go ahead. I, um, I'm not sure how to do collaboration myself. I I think um, when we collaborate with the radio. For example, that's interesting because it brings us into a different kind of production that we don't have 
But in terms of creating news with somebody else, we find that even when just two of our own reporters work together on a story, it's a much bigger mess than when one person is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Words are That's known a, for the job of an editor, right? We're talking yeah, about but, local yeah. journalism this morning. 866-999-4626 is our number. Our email address, thepoint at capeandislands.org. We'll talk more after a break listening to The Point. We're talking about local journalism in our region. 866-999-4626 is our number. That's 866-999-4626. Our email address, thepoint at capeandislands.org. With us, Steve Junker, CAI's news director, Marianne Stanton, editor and publisher of Nantucket's Inquirer Mirror. For over 40 years, she retired last summer, but continues to write a weekly column and consult. Teresa Parker's publisher of the Provincetown Independent, and Barbara Rosner is the founding editor of the New Bedford Light. So, Steve, you sort of touched on this. Where do we still have these local news deserts on the Cape Coast? And as we mentioned, you know, the Vineyard has two weekly papers, mm-hmm. which is great. Nantucket has, you know, the the current and the Inquirer Mirror, but sort of that mid-Cape area. There's no weekly serving the Barnstable. Barnstable, kind of Barnstable. Right. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I do think that there was, you know, the Cape Cod Times, uh, when it was in a more... Uh, I'll use the word again. When it was in a more robust state, uh, it, it it served to knit together uh, the region in terms of the regional stories. We have 15 towns on the Cape, mm-hmm. and each one can be served, or each corner of the Cape can be served by a great weekly. But there are issues that impact all of us across the region, from the south coast out to the you know end of Nantucket and out to the end of the Outer Cape. And, and having a news source that sort of is there putting that all together, that's a real challenge, and that requires a lot of resources yeah. I mean, if you ask me where the hole is, that's one of the, th- the holes that I, I feel like we all miss. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that the the uh, the topic area that is most ripe for regional coverage is climate, climate change and coastal climate. And we have a big project um, at the top of our site today where we really did look at individual towns along the the, the south coast. That's a real example of creating something that has regional reach. And I would also say that a lot of our audience is is regional. Mm-hmm. They're coming from outside New Bedford. They want to know what's going on. And, right. you know, when you're covering offshore wind in a really heavy-duty way, it's the go-to place for yeah. investigative stories about offshore wind. And they but, come from all over the country. Barbara, I want to ask you about that. New Bedford Light recently did a story about misinformation surrounding offshore wind. This generated a lot of reaction, both positive and negative. Talk about the New Bedford Light as a space for community dialogue. Mm -hmm. Well, I would just say that uh, the essence of an independent news organization is that your goal is not to make people happy. It's, It's to be respected and uh, for the independence of your journalism and the offshore wind story that really looked at dissecting in very specific terms, fact-checking, fact-checking uh, some of the claims that are being made by opponents, some opponents of, of or- offshore wind is really a classic case of, um, you know, holding, holding people to account. Um, <clears throat> So that's very, very important. And we love public dialogue. We love it when there's an actual good conversation among folks about what's going on. We embrace complexity. We don't run away from it. We embrace uh, controversy. We don't run away from it. We knew that story was going to be super, super uh, controversial, and it was. It's really interesting to see, though, a very coordinated uh, response from uh, oppos- opponents, some opponents of offshore wind, 
very, very uh, coordinated response. And my feeling is let the fur fly, <laughs> let, let folks have their, their say. We're the ones with the megaphone. We're the ones with the power. We got to give the mic to folks. And I understand they can get a little, you know, rowdy mm -hmm. out there, but, but that's okay. And we do a lot of uh, community events. We're going to do a big uh, community event with um, Buzzards Bay Coalition and others on uh, coastal climate and what's going on with that. And we do weekly chats and, you know, news and brews. Our reporters are in the community and we have this fabulous art club. The other thing we do in addition to investigating issues is celebrating the amazing, uh, diverse culture of a city like Bedford. And uh, we do a lot with with the arts and music mm -hmm. and, and culture. And we uh, we host events all the time. Yeah. What about? Um, well, I, I'd yeah. like to add that yeah. we've yeah. seen our letters to the editor page explode. <laughs> people have said to me, "It's the only place where people respond to a letter to the editor with another letter <laughs> to the editor," and and that has been, you know, I think that is a sign of um, how effective you are in reaching out. You know, and I know there are digital responses, but there's something to be said for something that's in print. People have to sign their names. We don't take anonymous. You know, you cannot call people scum. You can't call people names. You, it's about ideas and it's about being respectful of what the other person has to say. But I think that um, has been very encouraging to see that. Um, and and it, again, because it's Nantucket and it's a fairly small community, even though we've grown, you know who's writing. So it's not just someone who's 65 years old. You know, you have young people writing in letters to the editor and people responding to that. So that's very heartening to see that. I love letters to the editor myself. And it, because also, too, sometimes it brings out a point of view you hadn't even thought of. Right. So, again, getting that, that dialogue going. Teresa, do you want to add anything? Uh, well, no, our editor loves ed letters to the editor, too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's sometimes a lot of repetition, too. There are people who are sort of the type. Mm -hmm. Um one thing we get into arguments about is our letters to the editor are fact-checked generally, and people are not only not allowed to call one another names, but they're not allowed to make false statements. Mm -hmm. yeah. Same here. So um, talk about challenges finding and retaining reporting staff, given the high cost of housing in our region. How do you, how do you deal with that, Marianne? The Nantucket's probably the most expensive. Right. We have... Um, we rent some housing. We own some housing. It's never enough. We'd always like to have more reporters, but it is, we are sort of stymied by that. I was, um, I think, it, Teresa, I think it was your organization that put something out looking for um, people to house for summer reporters. Is that right? Yeah, we and have. I our that and I passed it on to Josh Balling. I said, hey, here's an idea. Uh, maybe this is how we... Um, go ahead and get some more summer people. You know, we well, also get, we rely on um, summer residents who come back. You know, we've had some really good reporters who, um, you know, grew up here summers and they're off in college. They do that, but it is a constant, um, you know, struggle. And reporting, being a reporter isn't the sexy thing it was back in the Woodward and Bernstein days. So not as many people are going into journalism. Yeah. Teresa? Well, I mean, I, I wanted to say one of the biggest surprises for us has been how 
many young people do want to go into journalism. <laughs> we we have a lot of young applicants and you know the sad thing is yes it's it's almost impossible really to put down roots here. Um, so that has been kind of the saddest part of the experience is saying goodbye after brief stays to our young journalists. They go on to do interesting things, but we are in a perpetual state of starting over in a way, and it's become part of what we're just going to be committed to. But I think a big surprise is, yeah, how many young people do want to be part of this. Now, four years in, we're starting to get a couple of applications from older people who told us we were crazy four years ago. Um, <laughs> yep. we, we find that uh, Boston University Journalism Program, Emerson College, uh, th they have great journalism programs. Kids are coming out of there. They, they We hire them as summer interns. They want to work for us. We've got people coming out of Columbia Master's Program, Berkeley Master's Program, who came to us because they want to do this kind of work. Mm -hmm. They want to. But housing is, housing is a problem it's yeah. i and think probably it, well you know we're also lucky because new bedford's affordable mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. a good wage so mm -hmm. it's it's Aff and they live in new bedford affordable new for now barbara right because uh, a lot of people uh, who are unable well, to afford here are kind of moving in that direction yeah it's all relative and relatively it's still quite affordable yeah, yeah. Tricia, you, you uh, have that local journalism project and I'm, I'm assuming some of these younger people are coming through that tell us what that is well, when we when we started um, the newspaper, we knew that one of the things we couldn't count on was, that, um, I mean, we are counting on advertising for the business, but we know that that's different from what it was even 20 years ago. So um, we decided that we would identify some things that would make us special, in particular, working with beginning journalists and perhaps carving out some special areas of reporting like climate that could be supported with a partnership with a nonprofit organization. So the Local Journalism Project is our nonprofit partner, and it is through them that we bring in summer fellows, um, a winter fellow every year, and, um, and people who are just starting their careers. So... Um, it's a huge part of our kind of hybrid experiment in in how to how to support a newspaper. We have really similar numbers in some ways with um, the New Bedford Light because Barbara, we also we spent one point five million dollars this year putting out the paper. Um, we're committed to print. Thirteen thirteen percent of our uh, money went to the printing aspects of the paper. So the most expensive thing is is doing the news. The people are the most expensive thing. We have a staff of 17, nine are on the editorial side. Mm -hmm. So I would give a, a shout out to, to Report for America. I mean, you know, we have a Report for America, full-time climate environment reporter now, but they mm -hmm. just, you know, it's hard to get for, for us, Latino, Spanish-speaking reporters, which we really need, they were able to do recruiting nationwide, and we've got a, a fabulous uh, Spanish-speaking uh, climate reporter now full-time. Yeah. So that's also a resource. Got to right. look at the larger foundation, nonprofit, national, that want to get more, are giving more 
toward local development. You say our, our own Eve Zukov came from Report for America. We've worked with yeah. them a bunch. A couple fabulous. Of them. Yeah, they're for anyone great. who doesn't know, they're a nonprofit organization who help emerging journalists enter the field. They fund part of the salaries as, as they're placed into newsrooms locally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think, you know, they inspired us for sure. And we try to follow some of the things they do. They're, they're great. But yeah. we haven't never been chosen, though we have applied. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Steve, that's another issue. The housing issue is when we deal with, especially when we look at summer interns, we get a lot of people who would love to come intern with us. But unless, it, you know, unless they have like a grandparent or family home, it, it's very hard for them to find housing. Housing is, again, one of these issues that t- weaves together our region. You think about housing, you think about transportation, and they're going to build some bridges that are going to impact everybody, not just the people who live in Bourne. They're going to, if you live on the Outer Cape, you still have to cross that bridge. Uh, there's, there's so many regional issues that are here. And I think housing is going to be one of the biggest ones we're talking about going forward. Yeah. Cape Cod's, this is an email. Cape Cod's demographic is older and used to subscription news. Do your guests have a sense of the age groups that's subscribing to their news outlets? It seems to me that younger people aren't willing to pay for news. Do you think that the subscription donor ownership models will endure? Got just about 45 seconds. Who wants to take that on? Yes, I think they will. I think they will. I mean, we are uh, subscription-based, both for digital and for print, Um, what is going to be, what is it going to look like 10 years from now? And when we talk about things enduring, we are in a changing world, a rapidly changing world. So how long are we talking forever? Probably not. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, 20 years from now, everything's going to look vastly different. But, you know, we're looking at the next 10 years and yes, we are still going to have that. And and again, everybody has their own mission and what works for them in their community. Mm-hmm. But um you know, give, be relevant, give yeah. readers what they want, give them what they are looking for, and you will survive. I right. mean, we have a highly educated um, readership of our community. Right. Mary, uh, I got to wrap it up there. Marianne Stanton, editor and publisher of the of Nantucket's Inquirer Mirror for 40 years. Teresa Parker, publisher of the Provincetown Independent. Barbara Rustner, founding editor of the New Bedford Light. And Steve Junker, CAI News Director. Thank you all. Fascinating conversation. We'll have a link with more info at our website, capeandislands.org. I'm Indy Todd. Thanks for listening. Point is produced by Amy Vince. The executive producer is Mindy Todd. Production assistance from Jenny Junker. Theme music by Benjamin Verdery and William Coulter. <laughs>